And as I was preparing to get back in the preaching game here this morning with our series, I spent some time reflecting on where we've been thus far, uh, reflecting on some of the texts that we've looked at, uh, some of the sermons that we've heard, some of the conversations that I've been uh, a part of here in the church as it relates to this book. And uh, the, the word or the descriptor that came to mind as I thought about that journey so far, at least for me, is sobering. This has been a very sobering journey thus far in Hebrews. And when I use that word sobering, I don't mean it in sort of a discouraging way or a somber way or in a helpful way. Uh, I use it in a very positive way. Our time in Hebrews has sobered me in that it has helped me begin to see and think more clearly, more biblically. God has used this book to cut through some of the fog and the noise in my own life and remind me of that which matters most. That Jesus really is better than anything or anyone I might be tempted to worship. This process has reminded me of how important it is that I hold fast to him today while I have the opportunity and together with my brothers and sisters in the faith. And this book has reminded me that if I don't, if I don't hold fast to Christ and the confession that I've made, then there are serious implications for that. So it's been sobering, but in a very helpful and needed way, at least for me. Hopefully you all have experienced some of that yourself. And as we've gone through the letter thus far, uh, one of the, the themes or the threads that has sort of run through everything we've looked at is that of God speaking. God speaking. Uh, right from the jump, verses 1 and 2, we just read them together moments ago. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, God speaking. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we may, must pay closer attention to what we have heard, what we have heard from God, lest we drift away from it. Throughout chapters 3 and 4, we have this refrain from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts. And so as we kind of survey this theme, this thread of God speaking, there's at least two major takeaways. One is just a simple fact and reality that God speaks to his people. God didn't create us and then sort of exit stage left. Throughout human history, God has been speaking to his people. He's been engaging with his people. He has been communicating in a very intentional and purposeful way with his people. And number two, Hebrews reminds us that there are very real consequences for how we listen to and respond to that speech. And I point out this theme of God speaking because it is the theme that is going to take center stage today in our text and in our sermon. 
We're in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. As Scott mentioned, it's, it's a brief passage, a short passage, but we ought not confuse brief with light. This is a rich, uh, beautifully constructed, deeply penetrating passage as it relates to the Word of God. And there's three specific things we're going to look at when it comes to the Word of God. Number one, we're going to look at what the Word of God is, according to this passage. Number two, we're going to look at what the Word of God does. And finally, we're going to look at what all of this means for us. So the Word of God, that's the centerpiece today, what it is, what it does, and what it means for us. So with that trajectory in mind, let us pray. Father, we thank you yet again for your word. We're thankful that you care enough about your people to speak to us, to guide us, to engage with us with your words. And Father, as we examine this specific expression of your word here in Hebrews. Help us not just to hear your words, but but to truly listen and to allow your word to do its work in us. And we pray that you would use this passage this morning to help us understand even more clearly, what exactly is the nature of your word and how is it that you want to use your words in our lives? My prayer is, is, is Scott's prayer from a moment ago, that at the end of the day, we wouldn't just uh, be readers of your word or hearers of your word, but that we would be people who are fundamentally transformed by your word. So please use this text, this message, this time to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first question we need to address as it relates to God's Word is just very simple, very fundamental. What is it? When the author here is talking about the Word of God, what exactly is he talking about? And depending on your background, depending on your experiences in church and Christianity, religion, you may think different things when you see this phrase, the Word of God. I know for many of us, because of the tradition we come out of, when we think about the Word of God, we think about this right here. We think about God's written Word as contained in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, and so when we talk about uh, being in the Word or studying the Word or engaging with the Word, that's oftentimes what we're talking about, is engaging with this book right here. Uh, but others, you may see this phrase, the Word of God, you may say, well, I'm not so sure it's exactly the written Word of God. After all, we have to consider that when this was written, we didn't have this book as it's contained here. So you might say, well, I think maybe that the focus here when it comes to the Word of God is the gospel. It's, it's not the entire written Word, but uh, the author is focusing exclusively on, on, on that message of good news, uh, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for sinners 
like us. Maybe, maybe that's the direction your mind goes. Others of you may get even more specific and say, no, it's not so much the written word or the gospel message, but it's Jesus himself. And you could point to various places in Scripture, including John 1, where we see Jesus being described as the Word, as the Logos of God. Others may say, no, I don't think it's the written Word or the Gospel or Jesus himself, but I think the author has the Holy Spirit in mind here, who is God himself, speaking the words of God, guiding us into the truths of God, applying those truths to our hearts. Maybe that's where your mind goes. So which is it? What exactly is the author talking about here? What is the Word of God in the context of this passage? Well, some of you, I know, spent some time in your missional community discussions this week wrestling through this question, debating. I'm sure there were probably different perspectives, voice. Well, here is my answer to that question. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, when it comes to the Word of God in the context of this passage, I don't think it's a riddle to be solved as much as it is a dynamic reality to be embraced. It's not a riddle to be solved, but a dynamic reality in construct to be embraced. Because this phrase, the word of God, the logos of God, is used in all those different ways throughout Scripture. And in this case, the author did not see fit to tell us what specific mode of speech is in mind. So the mode isn't clear, but what is clear here is the source of that speech. The words that come from God. And so if, if you're looking for sort of a, an operating definition, something concrete that you can write down and kind of think about in the context of this passage and sermon, here is one for you. Uh, a commentator summarized the Word of God in this way, and I found it to be helpful. He wrote, The Word of God is any speech or reality that has its origins in God. Any speech or reality that has its origins in God. That speech, it may come through different mediums at different times. But fundamentally, if we're talking about the Word of God, we're talking about any message, any truth, any reality that has its roots in Him. So that is what the Word of God is. Now let's talk about what it does. And if you want to know what something does, if you're trying to figure that out, if you came upon some kind of tool that you hadn't seen before, how would you begin? You'd begin by observing it. You would note its features. You would try to get a sense for what it's like so that you can figure out what it does. And that is where the author begins in this passage. Look at how he describes the Word of God in verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and active. Living and active. We're going to treat those two descriptors together because they're getting at the same basic feature of God's word. When he describes the word of God as living and active, he's saying it has life. 
It has energy. It has uh, a certain power to it. Forgive me, I'm always going to sports analogies, but uh, I, I think about baseball and how certain pitchers are, are described as having a live arm. If a pitcher has a live arm, what they're saying about that pitcher is that uh, he throws with great velocity. He, grew up, he throws with great power. There's movement on his pitches. It's not this sort of kind of subdued, straight-lined, soft kind of thing. There's power and explosiveness in his pitches. Well, it's the same idea here with the Word of God, only on a much grander scale. The Word of God is a powerful, dynamic force that is able to accomplish that which it sets out to accomplish. It brought to mind for me Isaiah 55, verse 11, where God says, My word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Okay, so it's living, it's active, it's powerful. When God's word sets out to do something, it gets it done. He continues, it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is a phrase that shows up several times in the Old Testament. Literally, it's referring to a sword that has been sharpened on both sides. And what the author is doing here is he's emphasizing the penetrating force of God's word. This sword, it's not merely sharp. It is sharper than the sharpest sword. Why is this an important feature to note and to emphasize? He could have just said, well, it's short, but it's, it's sharp, but it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's incredibly sharp. Why? Why does God's word need to be that kind of sharp? Well, look at the second half of verse 12. And here we're answering this question of what it does directly. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is so powerful and so sharp that it penetrates the inmost recesses of our being. When he's talking about the joints and the marrow, soul and spirit, what he's getting at there is, is that when it comes to who we are, the, the, the most fundamental, intimate aspects of who we are, there is no crack or crevice that God's word is unable to penetrate. When God's word comes into us, it searches us and examines us and scrutinizes us completely. And as it does so, what exactly is it accomplishing? Well, the author tells us that it is discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. In the Bible, and particularly in this letter, the heart is a big deal. It is considered 
the seat of all human thought and will. Throughout the scriptures, we're told to carefully monitor and guard, protect our heart. In this letter, we've been warned not to harden our heart, which was the fundamental failure of the wilderness generation. So the heart is the most important part of who we are, and thus, it is no small thing to say that God's Word is able to discern perfectly and completely what's going on there. It means that God understands the deepest, most fundamental, most intimate aspects of who we are, such that any time we go to say something or to do something or even to think something, God knows the motive behind it, even better than we do. And he uses his word to bring those motives, to bring those intentions, to bring those hungers and desires out of the dark and into the light. And by God's grace, I got a front row seat for this type of activity uh, during the past week. I spent Monday through Thursday in Chapel Hill, North Carolina with uh, a group of future pastors and church planners. I think we have a picture that we'll show you there, just so you have a visual. Um, They're a part of an organization and a process, Leaders Collective, whose mission is to uh, prepare future pastors, future church planners, to have a healthy, sustainable life in ministry. And so they go through this intensive year-long process, um, do a lot of personal reflection, kind of soul-heart care type work, so that they're set up well to not go hard for a few years and burn out, but actually sustain themselves in ministry. And it's been a privilege for me uh, to get to work with this group of men over the last several months, thankful for the elders here at Christ Community, who encouraged me to go and and invest in these guys. And we were in Chapel Hill this week for a self-care retreat. Uh, Three, four days set aside really to do exactly what this passage is talking about. To allow uh, God's word through various channels, through his word, through the spirit, through prayer, uh, through the uh, prophetic words of other brothers involved in this group, to really search and examine their hearts to see what's going on there. And uh, it was a powerful thing to be a part of. Uh, There's one guy in the group who uh, has this almost obsessive desire for his future church to function like a family. He's always talking about that. And so we kind of explore that. What's going on there? Why is that so important to you? And uh, what he discovered, thanks to God's penetrating and discerning word, is that he's desperate for his church to function like a family because he was a first-generation immigrant from Ukraine. And he wasn't surrounded by a lot of family here in the States. And at a young age, his father quite suddenly died of cancer. So he spent a lot of his life feeling like he didn't really have a family. And so when it comes to his church, he's, he's desperate for it to have this familial vibe about it. 
That was something that God's Word helped him discern over the course of the week. Another guy, uh, he grew up in Zimbabwe. Incredible story. He's been through so much. And um, he really struggles to ask people to financially support his church plan. And so he spent time during the past week trying to figure out why is that? Why is there such a block there when it comes to asking people to financially support what he's doing? And what God exposed there through his word is that uh, he spent his whole life asking people for things and receiving from others. And, And there's a lot of embarrassment and shame about that. He's already been given so much. He just can't bear the thought of asking people for more. That was something that God showed him this week through his word. There's another guy, African-American, who really struggles uh, to be a bold leader, struggles to engage in conflict, uh, struggles to provide correction when necessary. And he was trying to figure out, why is that? Why does he so struggle with being direct, being corrective, leading boldly? He wasn't sure. Throughout the course of the week, as God's word penetrated him, discerned his heart, what he realized is that he is terrified, absolutely terrified of being viewed as just another angry black man. And that is his worst nightmare, is to be thought of like that. And so as a result, he bites his tongue. He allows himself to be muzzled as a leader in less than who God has made him to be. So these are just a few examples meant to illustrate the very thing we're talking about. What is it that God's word does? It penetrates and discerns the inmost parts of who we are. So we've looked at what God's word is. We've looked at what God's word does Our final question, what what does any of this mean for us? How will we respond to God's word? And the way I see it, there's, there's kind of three ways we can go here. Number one, we can choose to ignore God's word. And probably all of us at some point in our lives have been in this camp. Or we just don't care. We don't really care about God or what he's up to in our life or what he might be trying to say to us, exposing us, discerning us. So we just ignore him. We ignore God. We ignore his word. uh, And we're free to do that. God doesn't force us to heed his word. But I wouldn't be much of a pastor if I didn't remind you that there are consequences to that decision. Recall where we've been in Hebrews thus far. What was the fundamental failure of the wilderness generation? They failed to truly listen to and heed God's word. And recall how that story ended. With dead bodies and restless souls. And so ignore God's word, if you will, but do so at your own peril. So that's one option. We can ignore it. Option number two, 
when it comes to God's word is that we can emasculate it. Emasculate it. To emasculate something is to weaken it, to cripple it, to rob it of its power. I would submit to you that we do that when we engage with God's word, but we do so on our terms, not his. And I think if we're honest, there's a temptation for many of us in this room this morning to do exactly that. And and so what this looks like is we, we study God's word and we listen to God's word and we discuss God's word, but we do so in a way that allows us to stay in control. And so what we do is we disregard the messages that make us feel convicted. We reinterpret the messages that might put us at odds with our friends, colleagues, and neighbors. We selectively apply the messages that may warrant some kind of conviction and change in our life. But it looks good. We're playing the part, right? We do our quiet times, we attend our Bible studies, we meet with our accountability partners, we pray our perfunctory prayers, but we're not really interested in what God has to say to us. What is the result of this type of engagement with God's word? The result is that it has no impact on our life. When we are bent on remaining in control of our engagement with God and his word, we emasculate it. And we rob it of its transforming power in our lives. This is the reality for many Christians today. Perhaps some of us sitting here in this room this morning. So we can ignore God's word. We can emasculate God's word. Or we can do exactly what God invites us to do. We can allow ourselves to be exposed by God's word. Look at verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When God speaks and we truly listen to what he has to say, friends, it exposes us. It exposes us. There is no way around that reality. God's word brings the truth of who we are out of the darkness and into the light. For us to see, sometimes for our spouse to see, our friends to see, in some public cases for the whole world to see. And that exposure, that nakedness, it's scary. It's uncomfortable. Uh, It can be quite painful. 
exposure is not something that we as human beings like to experience. In fact, many of us spend our whole lives actively trying to avoid it. Some of you here today are doing that very thing as I speak to you now. And I can understand why. I've been there before too. But in closing, let me just give you two final reasons why this exposure is worth it. Number one, God already knows. He already knows. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're plotting, whatever it is inside of you that you might be trying to hide, he knows. He's the God of the universe. He he created us. And he knows exactly what's going on with us at any given moment. He already knows. So the exposure is not for his benefit, but rather for our benefit. And this is my final thought, my final reminder, final exhortation. Remember this. And if you don't remember anything else this morning, this would be like the one thing I'd hope you'd hold on to. God invites us to be exposed by his word so that we can be healed by his grace. He invites us to be exposed by his word, not arbitrarily, not because he's sadistic, not because he likes to mess with us. He invites us to be exposed by his word so that he can heal us and transform us by his grace. And I witnessed that this past week with those pastor friends of mine. These men very courageously allowed themselves to be exposed by God's word. And it was kind of a mess. There were tears shed. There were wounds exposed. There were, in some cases, sins, idolatries that needed to be confronted. But as these men went to that scary, uncomfortable, painful place of exposure, they were met there by a merciful and faithful high priest who knows a thing or two about what it feels like to be exposed. That high priest He's ready to meet each and every one of us in our place of exposure as well. Next week, we're going to talk more about this high priest, about who he is, what he's been through, and how that equips him to minister to us in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our exposure, in some unique in beautiful ways. But as we close this week, just remember this. Again, that God invites us to be exposed by him so that ultimately we can be healed and transformed by him. On that note, let's pray.
God, we confess that it is not a pleasant experience to be exposed. We invest a lot of time and thought and energy trying to be the opposite of exposed. We have a certain idea in our heads about the kind of people that we are, the kind of people that we want to be, the kind of people that we want others to see ourselves as. There's a fear, I think, in many of us that to be exposed would be to compromise all that. Father, I pray that you just help us. Help us as we go forward to not just understand but to believe and embrace this idea that you invite us to be exposed by your word so that we can ultimately be healed by your word. And to go down that road, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of trust. And uh, we confess, Lord, that that, that courage, that trust, that faith, uh, we can't produce it in and of our own strength. So, Father, would you give us supernatural resources to be exposed, to allow your word to do its work in us? And would we trust you enough to meet us in that place and to use that exposure to bring about healing and growth and transformation. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.